Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining DocuSign's fourth quarter and full year fiscal 21 earnings conference call. As a reminder, this call is being recorded and will be available for replay from the Investor Relations section of the website following the call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. I will now pass the call over to Annie Lachin, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to DocuSign's fourth quarter and full year fiscal year 21 earnings conference call. On the call today, we have DocuSign CEO, Dan Springer, and CFO, Cynthia Gaylor. The press release announcing our fourth quarter and full year fiscal 21 results was issued earlier today and is posted on our investor relations website. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everyone that on, on March 24th, we will be hosting our annual customer conference, Momentum, and our inaugural Analyst Day. Both events will be held virtually. For registration and more details, you can visit the Investor Relations website. As other events come up, we'll make additional announcements. Now let me remind everyone that some of our statements on today's call are forward-looking. We believe our assumptions and expectations related to these forward-looking statements are reasonable, but they are subject to known and unknown risks and uncertainties that may cause our actual results or performance to be materially different. In particular, our expectations regarding the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business, including the potential effects of the pandemic subsiding, are based on our best estimates at this time and are therefore subject to change. Please read and consider the risk factors in our filings and the SEC together with the content of this call. Any forward-looking statements are based on our assumptions and expectations to date, and except as required by law, we assume no obligation to update these statements in light of future events or new information. During this call, we will present GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. Non-GAAP financial measures exclude stock-based compensation expenses, employer payroll tax on employee stock transactions, amortization of acquired intangible assets, amortization of debt discount and issuance costs from our notes, acquisition-related expenses, and as applicable, other special items. In addition, we provide non-GAAP weighted average share counts and information regarding free cash flows and billing. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be con considered in isolation from, nor substitute for, or superior to our GAAP results. We encourage you to consider all measures when analyzing our performance. For information regarding our non-GAAP financial information, the most directly comparable GAAP measures and a quantitative reconciliation of those figures Please refer to today's press release, which can be found on the website at investor.docusign.com. Now I'd like to turn the call over to Dan. Dan? Thanks, Annie. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our fourth quarter earnings call for fiscal 2021. Before we get to our results, I want to acknowledge that it's been almost a year to the day since we shifted our business operations and day-to-day -day lives in response to the pandemic. Over that time, COVID-19 has created huge challenges and disruptions for almost everyone, everywhere, ones we're all still dealing with today. But amid those challenges, people found ways to keep life and work moving forward. As a team, DocuSign was honored to play a role supporting people all over the world as they responded to the pandemic. We gained new customers, we expanded our relationships with others, and we saw a surge in adoption of our products as accelerating a trend already underway, the digital transformation of agreements. This transformation not only allows agreements to be prepared, signed, act on, and managed from anywhere, it also allows greater speed and efficiency than manual paper-based processes. As a result, we don't believe our new or expanded customers will be going back to paper, even after the pandemic recedes. We also don't believe life will go back to the way it was before. Of course, many in-person activities will be welcomed back. But when people found better ways during the pandemic, we believe those will continue and flourish, whether it's total or partial work from home, virtual visits to medical professionals, or getting a document notarized remotely. Ultimately, over the coming years, we think the trend will continue towards the option of doing anything from anywhere. We call the products and services supporting this trend 
the anywhere economy. We believe we're a key pillar and it's only just beginning. You'll hear more from us about this in the coming weeks. With that, we have a lot to share around Q4 and our full fiscal year. So let's cover that in three parts. Our strong Q4 and record fiscal 21 results, how we think about our continued evolution into the Agreement Cloud company, and how the Agreement Cloud delivers value to our customers and partners. First, our results. Q4 was another strong quarter for us, contributing to a milestone year for DocuSign overall. We saw revenue growth of 57% and billings growth of 46% year over year. We welcome more than 70,000 new customers, bringing the total to nearly 892,000 customers worldwide. And we saw our strongest expansion and upsell rates yet, driving our dollar net retention to a record 123%. For the year, we exited fiscal 21 nearly 50% bigger than we were in fiscal 20, with almost $1.5 billion in revenue. And our customer addition rate was more than double that of fiscal 20, edging us ever closer to the million customer mark. By any measure, that's an astounding year. It's testament to how people around the world are embracing digital technologies to transform the way they work and live. It's a reflection of the incredible opportunity that's still in its very early stages. And it's all made possible by the dedication of the 5,600-person strong DocuSign team who've gone above and beyond to help our customers this entire year. Of course, this is a journey, not a destination. So as we think about the future and our continued evolution into the Agreement Cloud Company, we're increasingly going to do so in the context of three primary goals. First, we want DocuSign to be the best way to agree to anything, anywhere. We've recently made great additions to our leading e-signature product with identity proofing, click wrap, electronic witnessing, and soon, remote online notary transactions. We want to extend the benefits of digital signing to all kinds of agreements in all walks of life. We're seeing this transformation accelerate. For example, one of our financial services customers in the U.S. came on board early last year as part of its COVID-19 response strategy. And they deployed DocuSign across more than 20 use cases in the past six months alone. So far, DocuSign has powered almost 100,000 transactions for their HR, procurement, customer service, and in-branch onboarding needs. These transactions took less than a minute to complete on average, delivering a rapid ROI. And DocuSign went from a crisis response solution last year to a business-as-usual solution today. For our second goal, we want to digitally transform the entire agreement process, pre- and post-signature. Over fiscal 21, we continued to innovate in CLM and to integrate our acquisitions of SEAL software and Live Oak technologies. And you can expect us to drive automation at every stage of the agreement cycle, all the way from preparing and signing to acting on and managing. As an example, one of our Latin American agricultural customers needed to improve the management, corporate governance, and turnaround time for its key contracts. And they needed a solution deployed across more than 30 subsidiaries in a matter of weeks. With DocuSign CLM and eSignature together handling the entire agreement process, this customer reduced the time it took to complete contracts from 23 days to just one hour. Third, we want to continue ensuring that DocuSign is embedded in the applications where work and life happen. We already integrate with more than 350 apps, including recent integrations with Slack, Microsoft Teams, and Workplace from Facebook. And we have an award-winning API for custom integration, including with our customers' proprietary applications and processes. 
one of our global manufacturing customers. It's a good example of how DocuSign can integrate and interoperate with multiple applications within an enterprise. The customer needed to ensure that NDAs and other critical documents could be generated accurately, reviewed quickly, and sent and signed easily. Today, after working with the DocuSign team, the company has integrated DocuSign CLM and eSignature with its CRM, productivity software, and cloud storage systems to create the exact desired workflow with all the speed, accuracy, and efficiency benefits that come with it. So, as I bring my remarks to a close, it's clear that fiscal 21 was extraordinary on almost every level. As thrilled as I am about DocuSign's performance, I'm even more pleased that we're able to help our customers during this uniquely challenging time. And to say that I'm excited for the pandemic to start subsiding is, of course, an understatement. I'm also excited about DocuSign being well-positioned for the anywhere economy I mentioned earlier. It points to the incredible opportunity that's out there for us, given that the journey to a modern-day agreement process is being prioritized like never before. The market is still in its early stages, so we will continue to invest in growth as our first priority as we expand and scale our business. Lastly, before I hand the call over to Cynthia, a reminder that we'll be talking more deeply about all of this at our upcoming annual Momentum Conference and our inaugural Analyst Day on March 24th. I look forward to seeing you all then, virtually. For now, over to Cynthia. Thanks, Dan, and good afternoon, everyone. In a monumental year, DocuSign helps many customers overcome challenges and transform their businesses to adapt to the new and changing environment. The strong demand for digital workflow accelerated our continued growth at scale and heightened our focus on execution and operations to meet our customers' needs. We capped off an exceptional year for DocuSign with strong results for the fourth quarter and the fiscal year driven by robust new customer growth and expansions, primarily for our core e-signature offerings. For the fourth quarter, total revenue increased 57% year-over-year to $431 million, and subscription revenue grew 59% year-over-year to $410 million. For the full year, total revenue reached $1.45 billion, an increase of 49% over last year, and subscription revenue hit $1.38 billion, an increase of 50%. Our international revenue increased an impressive 83% year-over-year to $89 million in the fourth quarter, kicking up 21% of total revenue. For the full year, international revenue grew over 67% to $287 million, reflecting accelerated expansion across geographies. For the first time, we reached over half a billion dollars in quarterly billings as Q4 rose 46% year-over-year to $535 million. This resulted in a 56% trailing four-quarter average consistent with last quarter's average. For the full year, billings increased $1.7 billion. Q4 customer additions continued at a robust pace as we added over 70,000 new customers. This brings our total install base to nearly 892,000 customers worldwide, an increase of 51% over last year and more than double the number of new additions compared with fiscal 20. To give you a sense of the magnitude of this achievement, we added nearly the same number of customers this past year as we had in total at the time we went public, 15 years after the company was founded. As part of this, we added 11,000 new direct customers in Q4 for a total of over 50,000 for the year. After more than doubling the number we added in fiscal 20, we ended the year with nearly 125,000 direct customers. For the third quarter in a row, we exceeded our historic dollar net retention range, hitting our highest level yet at 123% for Q4. Switching gears, Non-GAAP gross margin for the fourth quarter was 80% compared with 79% a year ago. For the full year, gross margin was 79% consistent with fiscal 20. 
Fourth quarter subscription gross margin was 85% compared with 84% a year ago. For the full year, subscription gross margin was 84% consistent with fiscal 20. We saw significant improvement in our operating leverage as non-GAAP operating margin reached a record high of 17% or $75 million compared to 8% or $21 million in the fourth quarter of last year. For the full year, operating margin was 12%, a more than 7.5 percentage point improvement over fiscal 20. Non-GAAP net income for Q4 was $77 million compared with $22 million in the fourth quarter last year. For the full year, net income was $182 million, up from $59 million in fiscal 20. We ended the quarter with 5,630 employees, an increase of 44% over last year. In Q4, we took steps to put in place a more strategic and efficient capital structure. We issued $690 million in new 2024 convertible senior notes and paid down the majority of our existing 2023 convertible notes. We also put in place a new revolving credit facility, allowing us to borrow up to $500 million with additional capacity, up to $750 million in total. While we are generating sufficient cash from our operations to fund our working capital needs, we believe this additional financial capacity, along with the attractive terms, will provide greater flexibility for our growth agenda. We exited fiscal 21 with $867 million in cash, cash equivalents, restricted cash, and investments. Operating cash flow in the fourth quarter was $62 million, or 14% margin. This compares with $46 million, or 17% in the same quarter a year ago. Free cash flow was $44 million, or 10% margin, in the quarter compared to $16 million, or 6% in the prior year. For the full year, operating cash flow more than doubled to $297 million, or 20%, compared to $116 million, or 12% a year ago. And free cash flow grew to $215 million, or 15%, compared to $44 million, or 4% in fiscal 20. These amounts include $75 million related to accounting for the extinguishment of the 2023 convertible notes. Excluding this, Q4 operating cash flow would have been $137 million, or 32% margin, and free cash flow would have been $119 million, or 28% margin. For the full year, operating cash flow would have been $372 million, or 26% margin, and free cash flow would have been $290 million, or 20% margin. This underscores the attractiveness of our model and the leverage we are seeing across the business. Now on to our guidance. Coming into this fiscal year, we expect to see continued secular tailwinds in support of the anywhere economy. We are confident in our long-term trajectory and the untapped opportunity ahead. That being said, while our subscription-based model gives us a certain level of visibility, the impact of the pandemic adds an extra layer of complexity, which we are monitoring closely. With this backdrop, our approach to guidance continues to be to guide to what we know and can see in the current environment. As we begin the new fiscal year, we are guiding to non-GAAP operating margin going forward rather than individual operating expense lines to better align with how we are growing and scaling the business. For the first quarter in fiscal 22, we anticipate total revenue of 432 to $436 million in Q1, or growth of 45% to 47% year over year, and $1.963 to $1.973 billion for fiscal 22, or growth of 35 to 36% year over year. Of this, we expect subscription revenue of $415 to $419 million in Q1, or growth of 48 to 49% year over year, and $1.886 to $1.896 billion for fiscal 22, or growth of 37% year over year. For billings, we expect $457 to $467 million in Q1, or growth of 34 to 37% year over year, and 2.26 
to $2.28 billion for fiscal 22, or growth of 31 to 32% year over year. We expect non-GAAP gross margin to be 79% to 81% for both Q1 and fiscal 22. We expect non-GAAP operating margin to be 12% to 14% for Q1 and 13 to 15% for fiscal 22. We expect to see a de minimis amount of interest and other income, including undrawn revolver fees related to our credit facility. For fiscal 22, we expect a tax provision of approximately eight to $10 million. We expect fully diluted weighted shares, average shares outstanding of 205 to 210 million for both Q1 and fiscal 22. In summary, we would like to thank the DocuSign team, our customers, and our partners for their tremendous efforts during this unprecedented year. We are excited for this year as we continue to deliver on the large opportunity ahead. We will continue to focus on driving long-term durable growth at scale as we help customers thrive in the Anywhere economy. Thanks again for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you in a few weeks at Momentum and our Analyst Day. And now we will open up the call for Q&A. Operator? Thank you. At this time, we'll be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Your first question comes from the line of Sterling Audi with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. I'm just curious in terms of what you're seeing on the new customers that are coming on board to the platform, you know, what ones are taking some of the advanced features for, you know, the Spring CM capabilities versus just plain e-signature? Um, is that specifically you thinking about vertical, geography? What, what dimensions would be most useful for you? No, across the board. So what kind of penetration, so what's the take rate for kind of the additional contract management uh, and, and just kind of contract cloud in the new customers coming on? Oh, so it's, it's still a relatively small piece. If you think about what's happened really throughout the year, as we talked about all years, with COVID, we saw a a dramatic move with a lot of, of acceleration and digital transformation to those sort of entry-type uh, applications. And Signature is just a fantastic way for people not to get not only an incredibly high ROI, <clears throat> but to quickly get uh, that transformation they need in their business and be able to, you know, uh, be in, effectively in the Anywhere uh, economy. So I think that has not changed. And if you look at things like CLM, uh, where there is, a, you know, a longer purchase sort of cycle where people require a statement of work or professional services to implement, <clears throat> those definitely, you know, were slowed uh, through this year relative to where they were the prior year. Our view, though, coming out uh, of, of fiscal year 21, particularly coming out of Q4 here, <clears throat> is we're seeing that the, the build, the pipeline build again. And so we're, we're quite optimistic that we're going to see a sort of that reacceleration uh, that we saw a little over a year ago uh, with CLM in particular, and then and the sense we're seeing that is it's going to be not so much in our uh, smallest or largest customers, uh, but it's going to go most quickly in those mid-market or commercial businesses, where there tends to be you know a little bit more fast moving than the largest enterprises, but having a little bit more scale and need for you know a full CLM like solution than our than our SMBs uh, customers. So that's where we see that developing. Great. And then one just quick follow-up. You mentioned you talk about the remote notary. What's the timing on when we might see that in the market, and where are some of the first use cases that you think you'll see the adoption? Yeah, so what we see right now uh, is that we've gone through the beta, which we've been really pleased with, and we're uh, moving this uh, month to get a um, sort of a limited release. We're going to be focused on financial services companies. Uh, the use case, and remember, the first piece we're coming out with is first-party notary, so that's uh, which we think is the significantly larger part of the total market. First part is when companies have their own effective notary. So they're actually uh, notarizing documents with their and usually consumers uh, with an in-house uh, or internal notary. 
And then third party where people are using sort of a notary is coming to bring two people together that doesn't work for either of them, which is a smaller part, we'll have that uh, by the end of the year uh, out into uh, release. Thank you, guys. Your next question comes from the line of Stan Zlotsky with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Perfect. Um, thank you so much, guys, and congratulations on a very strong end uh, to the year. Um, maybe the, the first one from my end. Uh, Cynthia, you, you, you mentioned uh, you, the, the, the guidance for fiscal 22. Um, when, when you talk about the methodology that you approach to setting guidance for the year, um, is, is there anything different um, how you approached it versus perhaps how you, uh, you you guys initially looked at fiscal 21? And what are some of the puts and takes that you considered uh, in setting your guidance, uh, mainly for billings, because that's the metric that investors uh, will co care most about? And then I have a quick follow-up. Sure. Yeah, I mean, our guidance philosophy has been um, super consistent since the time we went public. Um, you know, we guide to what we can see. Um, and it's, it's largely data-driven, so we use everything from pipeline and demand trends to co close rates to looking at kind of the net new that we added during the year and looking at kind of the upsell trends uh, and expansion trends within there. So it's, it's, it's quite data-driven, and, and we guide to what we can see, um, and it's been, it's been very uh, consistent from that perspective. Got it. So, so as far as just you know, considering... Um, how you know um, how the business could trend into fiscal 22 as we're lapping the the pandemic uh, sounds like you know you you apply the same type of lens as you know any any other year as far as you know the conservatism that's baked into those estimates um, or uh, um, anything along along those lines. Sure. Yeah. I think. I mean. I, we think the guide is is reasonable and and you know just given how quickly the company has grown at scale, right, our business uh, today is 50% bigger than it was a year ago. You know, earlier in our fiscal year, we had crossed the billion dollar in revenue mark, and now we're, you know, quickly um, coming up on a billion and a half, going to two billion. Um, and so, you know, when you think about growth at scale, we are looking at that closely because we're just, you know, growing solidly off a much bigger base. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're watching that closely in the different metrics that we're seeing. I think the pandemic, uh, you know, certainly adds an additional layer of complexity, um, just given the number of customers we've had, the demand and acceleration of demand we've we've been seeing, and that's all reflected in the in the guide for the year. Perfect. And then a um, uh, very quick follow-up for Dan: the international growth numbers. I mean, they 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 continue to really uh, show an, an outstanding momentum. And if I recall correctly, I think it's actually accelerating slightly off the Q3 pace. Uh, what's really driving the international ad adoption? What's what's out there? You know, what are you seeing out there uh, that may be a little bit different uh, than what you're seeing in the U.S.? That's it for me. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is uh, it's very broad-based. One of the things that was really interesting for us finishing up the year, and you don't get to say this very often, but same thing happened in Q3, happened in Q4. Every single geography uh, that we're in outside of the U.S., and for that matter, the U.S., uh, exceeded its plan. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, in my experience, that's something that's pretty special and, and pretty rare to happen. And so we don't think there's a particular, you know, type of, of, uh, of geography, either the common law or civil law or sort of EMEA versus Asia-Pac. We're just seeing it across the board. And, you know, Stan, my view is what's happening here, it's actually quite interesting. If you think about a year ago, we shared this result where we sort of laid the growth of DocuSign in the U.S., over its size when it was same size as where international business was and looked at that growth, and they're actually quite close. And so I think what's happening here is that you know, the, the U.S. business, when it was much smaller, grew at a higher rate. <laughs> and so now we're seeing uh, this happen in our international business. So it's not really surprising to us, and it's nothing that's sort of changing in the marketplace. I think we're just realizing it's a very large TAM opportunity outside of the U.S., and we're starting to uh, really, you know, uh, really hit that growth curve in the way we'd like to be hitting it, and we're optimistic we're going to continue to see that uh, through the year ahead. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from the line of Pat Wallravens with JMP Securities. Please proceed with your question. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, 
I have two if I can, one for each of you. Um, Dan, I mean, I think in, in the county that I live in, you know, across the bay from you, I think we're up to 26 or 27 percent of the people haven't gotten their first shot. So I'm just wondering if you, you know, as February and March have, have started here, is there any change in the demand environment uh, based on um, more of a return to normalcy? We haven't seen anything. Um, and I don't know whether we would be, uh, you know, a leading or a lagging indicator, Pat, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, we haven't seen anything in our business that suggests uh, that that will change. Now, if you recall, we said this about starting about three quarters ago, that our forecast on this is that the people that have come with new customers or new use cases uh, to DocuSign that are, you know, COVID-19 centric, they're not going back. People aren't going back to paper, no. not going back to manual processes. So the real question I think is interesting in your question is, will that rate of new people coming to us, uh, you know, change with, uh, you know, as we start to move into some sort of, uh, you know, return to quote-unquote normalcy? We haven't seen any change yet. It may be that the change isn't enough. Um, there's not enough new activity uh, to have driven the change in the demand environment. But at this point, um, yeah, we haven't seen a change yet. All right, perfect. And then I'm, I'm not sure which of you wants to address this, but you know what I think is super interesting is I'm looking back at my model, and in um, April of 2019, so Q1 of fiscal 20, um, net dollar retention was 112%, and it's gone up seven quarters in a row. What is driving that? I mean, that's not all the pandemic, right? Why, why has it gone up seven quarters in a row? We're looking at each other. I'll start and uh, let let uh, Cynthia finish with the good stuff. But I, mean, I think the real answer is we made a significant investment in customer success. Is really the short of the bat. Mm -hmm. We've always been a customer success company, and you know, starting about a year before that, so about three years ago, I think we realized we could do more. Um, and it's not just our customer success organization and the CSMs that are, I think are so powerful, although they are fantastic and they're a huge part of it. But I think culturally, we really have just just sort of force all of our employees to say we need to be a customer success company. Um, and it's great because it's wonderful for the SaaS uh, economics, as you articulated. But, two, it's great because it makes employees proud to work here. It makes them proud to be at a company that says, of course, we're going to make money. We're, we're, we're a business. Uh, but we want to be part of something bigger than that, and we want to be proud about that. And so um, I really think that, that investment is now yielding uh, those results. Yeah, and I, I would just add, you have to remember that our customers um, start out small and then they grow over time. And so when you think about the number of customers that we've added over the past couple years, um, and this year in particular, you know, they start out small, they expand um, as they use the product. And as Dan said, we've invested a lot in customer success to help them become successful on the platform. And so that's, that's certainly driving um, that number as the the denominator gets bigger, the numerator is also getting uh, bigger as, uh, as customers use the, the products more. Great, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Carl Kerstad with UBS. Please proceed with your question. Oh, thank you, uh, Dan and, and Cynthia. Just on the, the 4Q billings performance, it came pretty uh, close to the pin uh, relative to the prior quarters where DocuSign had put up, you know, pretty strong double-digit beats against the high end. I'm just wondering if anything felt a little different in the fourth quarter. Maybe there was some timing or other factors. Thank you. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit on the Q3 call. So Q3 was exceptionally strong, um, you know, based on timing of deals and, and some early renewals that came in in Q3. And so Q4, you know, was um, a strong growth as well at 46%, albeit it wasn't as strong as the, the Q3 growth. Um, so there was nothing unusual in the, the quarter. I would just remind you that on, on billings, they can, they can fluctuate more, um, you know, just given the, the nature of that metric and the timing of deals. And so, you know, we, we continue to encourage folks to look at that four-quarter average um, that smooths out the, you know, the, the changes quarter to quarter. And if you, you know, take that lens and um, apply it to Q4, it was really right in line with the last couple quarters and that, that trailing average. Got it. Okay, that's helpful, Cynthia. And then maybe a follow-up for you. I know typically when you start the fiscal year, you give your operating margin guidance, but um, uh, maybe not the cash flow guidance. But 
as you pointed out, the, the adjusted free cash flow margins in fiscal 21 were 20% relative to your uh, operating margins of 12%. Should, as we model uh, free cash in fiscal 22, use something similar to that correlation, or might there be something unusual in fiscal 22 such that it'll look a little bit different? Yeah, so we, we don't guide to um, cash flow, but I think when you look at kind of the Q4 and, and for the year, the cash flow, and, and we gave all those numbers in the release, um, right, the, the convertible uh, notes um, that we, uh, you know, we took down in, in Q4 um, on an adjusted basis, the cash flow was actually quite compelling, um, you know, even, even without the adjustment, you know, we're showing just a lot of uh, leverage in the model, um, similar to the, the operating margin, right? Now, we'll continue to invest in growth, so I wouldn't anticipate anything in fiscal 22 out of, you know, out of the ordinary. You know, my sense is we'll continue to, to demonstrate that leverage, but if we can invest for growth, um, we will, and that's one of the reasons we did the financing in, in January was really to give us that, you know, operating flexibility. Got it. Uh, thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Bhavan Suri with William Blair. Please proceed with your question. Hey, everyone. This is actually Jake on for Bhavan. Congrats on the great quarter. So just touching again on the capital allocation strategy moving into this year, um, how can we be thinking about that in terms of similar token acquisitions to what we've seen in the past? And then just as a follow-up, would love to hear about how you're thinking about the competitive landscape given the recent acquisitions from Box and Dropbox in the space. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think we see any dramatic change to our thinking uh, on M&A strategy. Um, I think we, you know, we love to build stuff ourselves. We have a fantastic you know, product development team here, and the vast, vast majority of all the product that we have is stuff that we've built internally. But from time to time, uh, and you know, SEAL would be a good example of this from last year, we look out and we see, wow, some folks are you know, really ahead of where we are, not just on some product development, in this case, in artificial intelligence and advanced analytics, uh, but, but also they just have some domain expertise, and it would take us a long time to build that. So we've seen some really nice tuck-in ac acquisitions that are you know, relatively small uh, compared to our revenue or, or, or compared to you know, our market valuation, uh, but we think meaningful in accelerating that agreement cloud strategy that we have. I think we're probably thinking about things the same the same way. Um, it's possible we could go a year and not do you know any deals. We didn't see anything that we needed, and we could also do as we did last year a couple deals or, or more. Um, you know, it's fantastic to have Cynthia in the seat of CFO now with with all of her banking experience prior uh, to becoming a CFO. That that I suppose gives us um, you know uh, more perspective uh, on different things we might look at uh, uh, in that way. But but just at the highest level. I think it's sort of the, the same that we did last year is probably what you should expect uh, going forward because we're not doing anything fundamentally differently. I would say that we are looking at doing a few more investments. And again, SEAL is a wonderful example of a company we invested in and got closer to them. So we felt we were really setting ourselves up for a highly successful uh, integration and, and acquisition there. And I think we may see us do more of that in the future, uh, increase the number of small investments we're making in companies we see in the broadly defined agreement cloud space. Uh, and then potentially have those as, as acquisition opportunities. To the second part of your question uh, around the competitive landscape, we, we don't think there's been any change. You know, uh, we, we always say very aggressively, when we think about competition, we fundamentally think about paper. When we think about paper and manual processes, we are so early uh, into this game in terms of where the TAM is, the vast, vast majority of all of our growth is coming from new field expansion. Um, from time to time, people want to upgrade you know, particularly in Signature, we'll, you know, we'll see that where, where someone will want to move, um, you know, from a less advanced um, sort of uh, less smaller feature set, you know, uh, provider. But again, the bulk of us is, is building this, this new market. So I don't think that changing. Um, we always, of course, take careful looks, um, you know, when someone buys someone that's in one of our spaces. Uh, you know, Box is a partner of ours, and we continue to want to partner with them. We have a very open model. Um, and this won't change, you know, our, our approach to that relationship at all. That's great. Thanks for answering my questions. Congrats again on the great year. Thank you. 
Your next question comes from the line of Kirk Materni with Evercore ISI. Please proceed with your question. Uh, thanks very much. Dan, you obviously have a huge cohort uh, of new customers coming up for renewal over the next you know, couple quarters. What's the conversation like the year after you sign someone up? Meaning, is that really a, a point of leverage where conversation might go from a departmental conversation to a enterprise-wide conversation, or, or is that the time that you start being able to sort of introduce some newer functionality or products? I'm just kind of curious about how you and the sales organization talk about sort of the, the next step with a lot of these customers that came on this year, because it would seem to be an opportunity to, to sort of go beyond maybe the, 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 the pandemic-related uh, uh, sort of decisions they had to make, meaning, meaning these could be really nice expansion deals for you all over the next two to three quarters. Yeah, I think that's exactly how we look at it. I tell you, the, the answer to your question at the high level, of course, is it depends, right? There's, a quite, there's, there's quite a range. Um, we absolutely have, you know, some customers that before they make it to a year realize they're exceeding the capacity that they purchase from us, and we do, you know, early renewals even before the year, although that's a, a small percentage of them. The one-year mark is a great opportunity to take stock with our customers and say, what's your uh, sort of utilization of the capacity you have to date with Signature? And again, the vast, vast majority of people start with us with Signature. Um, and then is there opportunity, as you said, to go to additional departments, uh, some, sometimes it's phenomenal. It's just more use cases in the same department. Uh, you know, they brought in some back office use cases in the HR department, but they have more that they could use separate from going to finance or, or going to the front office. And then, of course, the thing that we're kind of really excited about with the agreement cloud is starting to have those successful customers start the conversation about, you know, the broader product portfolio. Um, and so I think we'll have all of the above. Um, I do believe we're going to see two phenomenon at a high level this year. One, a lot of people that um, uh, you know kind of came to us last year and have been successful in adopting, they're also going to need to take a little bit of a breather because you know, they've been going so fast in, in this remote setting. Now they're coming back on board and they've sort of put off a lot of other projects. So we have heard CIOs say that they've got a backlog now of things they need to get done because the pandemic made it very very difficult for them to get certain projects done. And at the same time, I think we're going to see a lot of people who are saying, "Wow." I'm really glad I got started with the digital transformation, and I want more of it. And so they're going to want to accelerate even the expectations they may have had uh, for that pace of change. So when you when you put all that mixed together, you know it's it's um, it's fairly complex, but it, it leaves us feeling we're going to have a considerable cross and upsell opportunity this year. Uh, and the and those incremental customers, the significant customer new ads that you know Cynthia talked about earlier uh, from last year over the course of this year particularly the second half of this year uh, when a lot of those renewals uh, come up, should be a great cross-sell opportunity. And if I could sneak just a, a really quick second one in, what's your thought process on your, your partner relationships with some of the bigger GSIs now that we're hopefully getting back to a more sort of normalized world? You know, is this a year where you think you can make sort of a, a bigger step forward in having you know, those partners build bigger practices on you, especially around sort of the broader agreement cloud, or is that – yeah, maybe even a, a counter 22 event. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, I'll be as candid as I can. So we're enthusiastic, but we're also, um, you know, very cognizant of the fact that those are relationships uh, to work at scale to take time to develop. Historically, as we've shared, uh, the really large GSIs sort of looked at us and said, we aspire, you know, to someday be able to do more with DocuSign because we love the brand, we love the products, but there wasn't as much of an economic opportunity, particularly with signature only, uh, and quite frankly, they, they came back to us and said, your software is too easy to use. You know, it, it doesn't create enough economic opportunity for us. And we totally got it. Um, and now they're starting to look, as you said, the broader agreement cloud. And there's a lot of enthusiasm building there. But, but if you said this year, and we think about our sort of SI strategy, this year, fiscal year 22, I believe the bulk of the success we will get will be in with the regional SIs this year. But really starting to make traction with the GSIs. And probably next year is the year where I would be disappointed if we weren't really hitting the ground running uh, with the GSIs because they all want to be uh, DocuSign partners. We just got to get that model right so it can be significant enough for them uh, for their business model. Great. Congrats on the quarter. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Rob Owens with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question. Great, and uh, thank you for taking my question. I just wanted to drill down a little bit more 
on the international front, and since I can't really ask a question to Mike Sheridan, let's ask a question about him. Um, just in terms of any, any changes relative to, to go to market sales process, and as you look at a lot of the major geographies out there, where are they in terms of the maturity curve relative to the U.S. and what you're seeing? Are there different competitors that you run into regionally? I just would love to, you know, a quick couple of minutes on where the overall opportunity is and what you're seeing right now. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Rob, let me, I'll try to channel Mike for you uh, best I can. Um, because I, sh I guess I should use a much deeper voice if I'm going to channel Mike. But, uh, but, the, uh, but the construct, I would say, is um, the work that we talked about uh, the last couple quarters uh, was really the success that we needed in Europe was around coordination. We've grown very quickly, uh, and we realized we wanted to put additional leadership to support the international growth because we weren't uh, coordinated as well as we could across our own you know, organization, so that our marketing team working with our sales teams, our sales teams working with our success and professional services teams, and we had real opportunity. Uh, and we've been pleased with that result, and we want to, you know, continue to have that, that focus uh, and investment. There wasn't anything, I'd say, fundamentally broken with the business, but we did have some opportunity for better coordination. Um, and I think that has helped us. But I think in the end, as you heard us talk about earlier at the beginning of the call, what's happened in international is it's coming into its own, and it's hitting its scale just like we had the scale growth uh, in our domestic business, you know, uh, several years before. Um, from, from a standpoint of the types of investments, I do think we will continually look at additional markets where we could have a, you know, a bigger presence in those markets. Because of our web and mobile business, we sell, you know, well over 100 countries. Uh, but we have these eight focus countries uh, that we've put most uh, of our effort against, and we continue to think that's the right strategy because there's just a lot more growth in those markets. But over the course of this year, I would not be surprised to see us come forward and say another country or even two that we're going to sort of add to that list of the focus eight uh, and start to go deeper. And then the last piece, I'd say we are really investing aggressively in our digital strategy, which, of course, is, is global in nature. And I think it can be a significant part of growing our international business because that reach can get, you know, up to close to 200 countries. Um, and we want to be uh, leveraging that investment aggressively as part of international. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Rishi Jaluria with DA Davidson. Please proceed with your question. Hey, Dan and Cynthia. Thanks so much for taking my questions. Nice to see the business momentum continuing. Uh, I got two questions. First, just following up on the um, conversation on international. Um, you know, you've you, you really ramped up international hiring. Where where are you ramping up your headcount the most? Is it on sales coverage? Is it on leadership product side or, or, or other areas? And, and maybe alongside that, you know, Dan, you talked about your kind of eight focus countries. You know, as I look at the, the slide you laid on your slide deck um, on, on international traction, um, you know, it, it seems like there's a huge opportunity in, in, in Asia and, and really Japan's the only country that you've had you know, a, a good amount of success there, but, but it seems like there's a really big opportunity. What, what needs to happen to get real success in, in that, you know, Asia X Japan region and, you know, any lessons that you could take from the, I think surprising, at least to me, success you've had in Brazil uh, into those territories. And then I got to follow up. Sure. Yeah. In terms of the investment by category, uh, it's sales and customer success. I mean, the core field is what we are building there. We're not, we have product people in, you know, in Europe and in Paris, but, but the, the bulk of what we're building is the core field. And then the support uh, organizations like marketing, like finance, uh, like legal that are going to really uh, support those teams in their growth. But the, uh, but the core of it is, is sales and customer success. And then in terms of your question specifically uh, about Asia Asia Pacific, so I think we um, – two things. One, we have historically thinking of the Asia Pacific market as all other and then Japan. We're actually starting to look at it now as a JPAC mindset, and we're increasingly looking at bringing leadership in to cover across uh, those two businesses. Uh, you know, a lot of software companies have very distinct uh, uh, Japanese businesses, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. And the nature of how that economy works, but we think we have opportunity to be more successful broadly in Southeast Asia uh, if we leverage the strength we have in Japan and the, and the strength we have had traditionally in the ANZ uh, market. Um, so that's probably the best uh, answer for what we're trying to do to address that. We do have a, a small presence in Singapore, which we think can be an important um, launching you know, pad for other markets 
uh, in Southeast Asia, but at this point we don't have plans to open additional offices uh, in Asia. We really want to try to uh, leverage what we've got in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, uh, Tokyo, uh, and Singapore. All right, got it. That, that's helpful. Uh, and then just as a follow-up, I uh, wanted to ask on the CLM side as you continue to gain traction there uh, and, 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 and get you know more and more customer land, uh, do you find yourselves getting into more competitive situations uh, against some of the pure play CLMs uh, like Iceritus or, or, or even SAP uh, Ariba, or, or how would you characterize what you're seeing as you get, get more traction there? Thanks. Well, I think, uh, you know, for us, the competitive situation, as a question earlier about competition, is, is quite different in e-signature than it is in anything else, right? We have such a, a, a dramatic uh, market share lead and, and, quite frankly, product capability lead in e-signature uh, that it's, it's there's just the, the competition, as I said, is paper. You know, it's not that there aren't other, you know, strong companies that are in the market, but just by the sheer, you know, size advantage that we have, uh, and, you know, you, you heard us talk about this before, we spend more money uh, you know, in R&D than, than we think those folks have, you know, in revenue. Uh, so from that standpoint, uh, it's a very different dynamic. Uh, and we are one of the leaders in CLM, but there are other credible, you know, companies in the space. Uh, so we do see a different uh, competitive dynamic. Um, you mentioned SAP and Ariba. Interestingly, SAP is much more of a partner, really, than a competitor. Um, and increasingly, we're actually investing significantly in our integrations into Ariba uh, to ensure that our CLM products uh, will be industry leading uh, on the uh, the uh, buy side as well as they are on the sell side today. Um, but in general, I think your point is spot on, um, and it is a different competitive dynamic. And we're one of the leaders, but not the dramatic leader that we are in Signature. All right, wonderful. Thank you, and, and looking forward to the conference. Your next question comes from the line of Michael Turin with. Wells Fargo Securities. Please proceed with your question. Hey there. Uh, thanks and good afternoon. Go going back to the retention number reference that continues to tick up, how how should we think about the progression from here? Are those 120 plus percent levels something you feel could sustain given the seedlings you've laid with the signature um, this year and just expansion opportunities with the green cloud you've laid out and it sounds like are starting to, to gain some momentum or is there some counterbalance we should also be mindful of and, and penciling those numbers out going forward? Yeah, so, so on, on that, I think you know, the new codes are, are really seeding um, you know, our opportunity and upsells and expansion when we think just kind of about the, the market opportunity and where that, uh, that number could go. However, you know, given um, the scale that we're at um, and, and the rate that we've been growing, we're watching that number quite uh, closely. So our historic range for uh, dollar net retention has been kind of in the 112 to 119 range in the last, uh, you know, the last bunch of quarters we've been above that range. And so I think the way to think about that is, you know, we likely, um, you know, would continue at the high end of the historical range or at least at the high end of the historical range and we'll continue to monitor that, that metric quite closely. But we, we're feeling good, um, one, about the 123% that we posted for Q4, but then also just the, the amount of um, net new customers that we've added and how they've been expanding um, over the course of the last year. Helpful. Just maybe a quick follow-on, Cynthia, on hiring. You, you had a big step up in headcount mid-year, at least from a sequential perspective. It looks like the pace of ads is, is starting to moderate. Can you just expand on how you're thinking about capacity from here? And there's continued commentary around um, staying in growth investment mode, but have you laid some of the initial seeds with, with margin expansion already in the guide? It looks like maybe that's the case, but anything you can add is, is helpful. Yeah, for sure, and, and that's, that's exactly how we're thinking about it. We are investing for growth, and if you think about um, the last four quarters, in the, in the first half of last year, um, you know, our, our, the customer demand outstripped the um, capacity in the field, right? And so as we move through the year, we then um, accelerated hiring to really meet that customer demand and to set us up to continue to grow at hot, off a higher base coming into this year. And so we'll continue to make investments um, across the go-to-market, you know, in, in sales and, and success, as Dan had mentioned, but then also in R&D and continuing to innovate around the product portfolio, particularly across the agreement cloud. And so we'll continue to make those investments. 
um, you know, you will see um, us, you know, continue to move towards our uh, operating margin targets. But just given how nascent the opportunity is, how big the opportunity is in our market position, you know, we'll continue to invest um, aggressively for, for growth. And one other piece, I, would, I wouldn't look at it as a reduction in the capacity building in the second half if you factor in the, the, the acquisitions that we did in the middle of the year. So if you look at the number of employees that we brought on with the SEAL and the Live Oak Technologies, that um, sort of inflated a little bit in the middle of the year. So if you smooth that out, I think you hear what Cynthia is saying is, is very consistent, that we're, we are continuing to invest in growth first. Um, the performance of the business is such that we threw more to the bottom line than we expected. It's not a problem, but it's in no way an indication that we're moving back from our focus on growth first. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. Thanks. Congrats on the impressive year you just closed. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Tyler Radke with Citigroup. Please proceed with your question. Hey, thanks for taking my question. Uh, I wanted to ask you just how, how you're thinking about maybe some of the newer verticals, uh, particularly around federal or, or some other verticals that maybe you didn't see as much success in in, in FY21. Um, how you're thinking about those in terms of being a driver here uh, this year? Yeah, so, you know, we think about our business uh, in, in verticals, for sure, and then we also have our geo business, right, which is which is quite substantial. But in, in the verticals, uh, you know, the overall government vertical was incredibly strong for us in fiscal year 21, but it was very strong at state and local, and it wasn't as strong in federal. Um, and I don't know that I have, I mean, we could sort of hypothesize on what a pandemic does for t certain types of governments or others, but um, I think that there were so many kind of like health and human services aspects in the state and local where they deliver those, uh, you know, types of services to, to, to their, uh, you know, populations that that really uh, needed to happen in, in a quick way. And I think the federal agencies just had less of that and less of that urgency. So from that standpoint, as we look forward to this year, and we think about federal, um, I think we think it's a, a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of, of almost pent up, you know, sort of demand. Now, we're talking about the federal government, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic, but um, their pace uh, of change there is sometimes um, not rapid. So um, we wouldn't be surprised if that some of those things take longer than we think, but we do see a pipe building of significant opportunities to add that to the good success we had in state and local this last year. Okay, well, well said. Thank you. And and just to follow up, um, may, maybe just if you could kind of share with us what, what you're thinking about in terms of return to, um, you know, obviously not back to full normal um, pre-COVID spending levels, but just kind of what you're modeling in in terms of high-level assumptions there. You talking about our spending, or you're talking about customer spending? Uh, correct. Yeah, just spending on on you know either travel, entertainment, office spending. Just kind of curious how you're thinking about that through through the back half of the year. Yeah, well, so we've sort of told our employees to give you some indication of that, that they would not be required to return uh, to DocuSign offices uh, until uh, October 4th. Um, now, we previously said June, and that pushed out. It could push out again, obviously, but, but that's our perspective, that we wouldn't be back in any significant way uh, before then. And, Cynthia, so did you want to talk a little bit about how we've modeled the expenses from that standpoint and how that might change you know, to try to give some perspective. Sure. I, mean, I look at the bottom line and say we've talked about continued increase uh, uh, in in our profitability and our operating income, but not at the torrid rate that has improved in fiscal year 21 because we do want to focus on growth investing. Yeah, of course, of course. And so I think um, it, towards the second half of the year, we're starting to bake in, you know, kind of more a uh, return to office, uh, you know, in our own expense line. But I would say it's it's moderated, right, because it will it will kind of um, ramp in there slowly. I would say last year, that probably wasn't the biggest impact on our margin. It was really the outperformance and the customer demand. And so we, um, you know, we invested in other places when, you know, kind of some of the, the travel um, went away, including in employees and in, in some employee benefit types of um, programs. So, I, so in, a, in a nutshell, we're baking it in towards the second half of the year, but it's kind of a, a slow ramp up, but it's included in the guide. Okay, thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize, but we are out of time for questions, and I would like to turn the call back to Mr. Dan Springer for closing remarks. Thank you so much, and thank you all for joining us. And as I said at the beginning of the call, we really uh, hope you'll all be able to join us for our inaugural Analyst Day, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. This concludes today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.